My guest is Dr. Hannah Ritchie, a data scientist and researcher at the University of Oxford, also head of research for Our World in Data. She's just coming out with a fantastic new book called Not the End of the World. Welcome, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Hannah, when you did your TED Talk, was the book written by then? or that The was... book was written by then, yeah. Oh, okay. So the TED Talk is like a little bit of a, a squished-down version of the book. Yeah, that went very well. You managed to, uh, what did they give you, 15 minutes yeah, for that? That's, yeah, <laughs> it seems like a long, long time ago, and it went by in a, a complete blur. Like, I actually don't remember what I said when I was up there, but I, I watched it back and I said most of what I wanted to say. Tell me a little bit about how you came to write the book. Yeah, I think so. My background's environmental science. That's why I did a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD, all in environmental sciences. And I think by the end of my degree, despite having studied environment for a long, long time, I felt to some extent quite helpless. I felt like the number of problems we were facing were huge. The problems were massive. And to me at the time, it seemed like we weren't making any progress on these problems. So despite having done all of this work, I felt kind of like helpless in how to tackle these issues. And then I started working at our own data and my work led to a much more data-driven approach where rather than focusing on news headlines, which are coming at us all the time, is stepping back to look at the data to understand these problems and how we solve them. So what I've done at our own data for the last six or seven years is to study these environmental problems amongst health, poverty, other problems that we face and try to understand where we are on these problems and how we tackle them. So what I do in the book is I take seven different environmental problems, so air pollution, climate, food, biodiversity, and try to paint a picture of where we've came from, where we are today, and what that tells us about what we need to do next. There's a large group of people, I guess you could call them doomers, who are feeling a sense of despair about, you know, there's nothing we can do, should they have kids, that type of thing. How do you think that got to be such a, a common way of, of looking at, at the environmental issues? Yeah, I think it's a growing problem. And I should say that like a decade ago, I was probably in that very same position. I was studying all these environmental trends and they all just seemed to be getting worse and worse and worse. And I think what I was also doing at the time is I had no understanding of human well-being trends were changing. So what was happening to poverty, to health, to education? And what I did, I just simply extrapolated and said, well, I'm seeing all these new headlines saying, uh, looking at uh, the number of people in hunger, the number of kids dying, like all of these trends. And I just assumed that all of these were getting worse at the same time. So to me, it seemed like we were incapable of solving any problems. And I think then like a big turning point for me was discovering the work of Hans Rosling, who really brought to the front how the world has changed on these human well-being metrics. But I think one of the reasons why so many people feel the sense of doom now is that we, we fail to also recognise the amount of human progress that we've made over the last few centuries. One great thing about your book is that you, although climate's a, probably the problem that gets the most attention, you talk about other environmental challenges we face. Talk about a few of those. Yeah, the first chapter is on air pollution, which I think for me is just an underrated problem. If you're looking at number of premature deaths from air pollution, it's actually much higher than climate change today. Now that might change in the future, but for me, like 
air pollution is one of the biggest health challenges we face. The WHO estimates that it's around 7 million premature deaths every year. You have outdoor air pollution, which is what we see as like the emissions from cars and, and power stations, etc., which is a big problem. But there's also a, a vastly underrated problem, which is indoor air pollution, which is basically people mostly in energy poverty, where the only fuels they have are wood or charcoal or, or crop wastes, and they're basically using this to heat and, and cook in their homes. And the amount of air pollution that you get from this is really, really damaging to health. Now on air pollution we have achieved a lot there. One is the ozone layer which you know I just learn about from history books because I kind of missed the, the whole ozone layer period but at the time that was a, a massive problem. Countries came together and we reduced emissions of these uh, ozone depleting gases by more than 99%. Um, acid rain is another one like uh, especially in Europe and North America acid rain was a, a massive problem and we've basically solved that. And now you're starting to see it in middle and countries. So China, for example, has seen really stark declines in local air pollution. But when you take rich countries, so London or Edinburgh, where I'm from, you've seen really dramatic reductions in local air pollution, which has saved a lot of lives. So there are a range of problems that we have solved, which I guess pushes back against this narrative that we're incapable of solving environmental problems. One nice thing about that is that going from coal to solar or wind, you can clean up local pollution from coal. So there's a little intersection with climate there where the local pollution people and the greenhouse gas people, coal is the primary enemy. Yeah, I mean, on air pollution, you tend to see what we call the environmental Kuznets curve, which doesn't apply to every environmental problem, but you definitely see it with air pollution where it's almost like an upside down U. So air pollution tends to be lower, very, very low incomes. And as countries industrialize, it goes up and reaches a peak at middle incomes. And then rich countries, once countries get rich, they start to decline. So it's like an upside down U. Now that's in itself promising. That just means once everyone gets rich, then the problem's solved. But I think the challenge we face and what we need to push for is how do we like accelerate that trend much, much faster? Because if we wait, the number of deaths like under that curve is really, really big. So the question is, can India or other middle and low income countries go through that trend much faster than the UK or the US did? Because doing so will save a lot of lives. Subscribe to Unconfuse Me wherever you listen to podcasts.